If you're a California conservative, a libertarian, a moderate Democrat, believe in common sense, or just a sane person, this is the political podcast for you. It's the California Underground Podcast. What's going on? Good morning, everybody. Uh, Happy Wednesday. Happy coffee and California politics as we do every 9 a.m. Wednesday morning. We sit, we chat, we talk about uh, California politics over coffee. And I'm a little disappointed that today we're running out of coffee. So this is kind of like a weak coffee. I have to try and, and see if I could figure out it through some espresso in there. That didn't really work. So running low on my black rifle coffee. Um, so got some weak coffee right now. Um, I was uh, just finishing up watching a video uh, that our favorite gubernatorial candidate, Major Williams, just put out um i don't know seven hours ago or something like that and uh boy is it a doozy um the man is really really full of himself i mean he really lives in his own tiny little world um i i don't know how else to describe it you can go watch it you can go to major williams for governor and it's like his most recent video it's titled just call me governor williams or something like that and it basically goes into detail attacking um, people like Camille and Corinne and, uh, the women who won their law or won their motion to dismiss his lawsuit, mind you. Um, he's still gaslighting people and saying, oh, you know, they started this and this is all them and they're creating this noise and something like that. And I guess this is why somebody once told me, try not to give him too much air or oxygen because he does thrive off of this. Um, but the problem is he's still running, he's still running and he's still taking people's money and he's still asking for people's money. I'm disappointed in my local news network, KUSI, that they keep promoting him. And, and even though I've sent them press releases saying, look, this guy lost his lawsuit, um, for infringing on free speech rights. Like it's, you know, it's gotta, the reason we want to push back on it is because he's a fraud. Like even if he's, if he was a kooky candidate who didn't really make any sense, but he honestly believed what he was saying. He was just a kooky candidate. We're all like, well, you're kind of kooky, but whatever. We're not really going to pay attention. The fact is he, he keeps going and he's, he's still defrauding people and he's still grifting from people. And that's why it's such a big deal to kind of keep calling him out saying like, look, you're a grifter. We know you're a grifter. We know you're taking money from people, hard-earned money from people. Um, so I'll, I'll leave it at that. Uh, we're already talking about doing like a reaction video to it because it's, it's just chock full of so much content that I don't want to do it all here by myself because I, I want uh, I want the girls and the to come on and maybe some other people to come on and uh, it'll just be a lot of fun to hear us all laugh at this incredibly unself-aware uh, video that he put out basically I guess it's the first time he's really addressed what's going on out there so anyway other announcements um Speaking of Major Williams and the girls, uh, we're talking about doing a podcast where we specifically go over, because a lot of people have been asking, especially after the live on Monday, it was, um, specifically asking, how do we go about doing this, what you guys do, which is vetting candidates. Uh, and I, I feel like we kind of got into this like conversation on the live the other day, but we kind of had to cut it off. Uh, we're going to talk about like red flags, things that you should look for when you're looking at a candidate, how you can start to do your own research, which is very important as well. Um, and you know, start to look into candidates yourself. You don't have to wait for people like us. I mean, it's all public knowledge. So we want to do a full video where we go over stuff and we say like, Hey, this is what would we consider a red flag. This is stuff that like we think would be um, something you should look at. Oh, this expenditure is really shady. We looked at this website. Uh, if you're looking for this candidate, you have to look at this website. Um, I think it'll be a really good video and it'll be a really good resource in 2022 for us to do this right now because I think it'll really help people go back to it again and again and say like, okay, I want to look into this candidate. I'm really interested in what they're doing, but I also want to make sure that they're not doing anything shady behind the scenes, or at least if it does look shady, maybe I can confront the candidate and say like, Hey, why did you spend money on this? What are you doing here? Um, I think that that's really, really important. So, um, yeah, that's, that's happening. Uh, next week also, uh, Marco Contreras, who is running for Chula Vista city council is going to be on, 
Um, a lot of stuff happening. A lot of stuff happening. Also, I'm, I'm going to kind of tease this out here. In terms of the Calipublican Caucus, uh, there is talks that next month there's going to be like a virtual event so that people, because I know a lot of people were really interested in the Calipublican Caucus idea. And I got messages from all up and down the state and they said, man, I wish I could go. I don't live close to San Diego. I live in like Redwoods or something like that. Like, obviously, that's pretty far. You're not going to come all the way down from there. Uh, so we're talking about maybe doing some sort of like virtual uh, event where people can kind of, I don't know if it's going to be like a Zoom where people can come on or maybe it's going to be just like a live where people can ask questions or something like that. That might be the best way to do it is just do one of these lives um, so people can come on and ask a lot of questions um, or come on to the live if they want to come on and ask questions. That's fine, too. Um, that might be one way to do it. So we're still figuring that out. And then in April, we're teasing out that we might be on the, hitting the road out to Orange County with the Calipublican Caucus. Um, so all those who were interested in sort of the Calipublican Caucus and what we're doing and our plans to kind of like revitalize the Republican Party, add more solutions, not just complaining and whining about stuff, like actual solutions and ideas and ways to move California forward, you can join us in, in, in Orange County because obviously there's there was a lot of excitement that I got from people in Orange County who were like, hey, you should have an event up here. We'd be really interested. Um, so might be hitting the road. April is what we're looking at. Um, I'll get more details soon. We're sort of in the beginning stages of planning it. Um, that's basically it for now. Um, wearing my Elites Hate You sweatshirt. If you want to buy your own Elites Hate You sweatshirt, you can click the link below. It's already been pinned. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else. There's a lot coming up. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a busy year. It's going to be a very, very busy year. I promise to try and produce as much content as possible, mostly because, you know, I do have the day job as well of, uh, you know, being a full-time attorney, but I do love doing this. So I try and produce as much content as possible. Keep you updated on the news. Keep you updated on what's happening. A lot of people say like one thing they want to hear more about is like how to actually do you know, like action things to do on their own. So we'll have to look into that. But I think next week's video about how you can look into candidates is, is, is going to be a good start. So. All right, let's get started. Uh, we'll chat a little bit. I want to kind of kind of dish about this article I found, and then I'll open it up for comments and questions, because that's always the point of coffee in California politics, is it's not just me sitting here rambling. Um, it's the idea that you can come with your coffee, you can ask questions. Um, sometimes we get way off on different topics. I love it. I don't care. That's This is like an open forum. That's the whole point. Um, and we'll, we're just here to converse and make you feel like you are part of a group and you are part of a platform that wants to hear solutions and you want to discuss with other people. So, uh, somebody said, try and get to all the cities someday, hopefully someday we'll get to all the cities. Hopefully, you know, there'll be, uh, it'll get enough steam that we can start to hit like all the cities in the different counties. But right now, Obviously, we're in Southern California, so we're going to start like between San Diego and Orange County. There's a lot of interest in both counties. I think they're good breeding spots for Calipublican or Calipublicanism, if you want to call it that. Um, so I think those are good starts right there. And uh, we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, but I think it's, it, it is important to offer different solutions and, and try and think, because we kind of keep banging our head against the wall when it comes to California. We're like, we're always like, oh, you know. We don't want Democrats, but, you know, the Republicans are, are awful. Um, libertarians are doing a good job, too, though. You know, you know, don't sleep on the Libertarians. They've been doing a good job, too. So any Libertarians who are on the feed right now, you guys are doing a good job, um, especially with that petition in L.A. to get rid of the, um, God, what is it, the vaccine mandate to go into businesses and vaccine passports, stuff like that. Speaking of L.A., um, this article or this column is called Will LA's Mayoral Race Channel Orange County? And I thought that was a sort of an interesting um, title for an article in LA. Now, I'll give you the, the synopsis real quick, is that the author basically is, this is kind of like a warning of like telling people, Angelinos, he's trying to say like, don't go the way of um, Orange County. Like, don't let's not become Orange County because of all this stuff. But he's recognizing that this is sort of where L.A. is going. L.A. is kind of headed 
in this direction where they're going to start voting for stuff that becomes makes it more like Orange County. Now, I know what you're saying. You're like, that's crazy to think like anybody in L.A. is going to start voting that way. But if push comes to shove at a certain point. People push back. And um, there was an article I read last week. It was about Mayor London Breed, who, and the title was, Can She uh, Bring Back San Francisco? And the article talked about how London Breed is understanding that you may have to move back to the middle on a lot of these issues, especially with crime and homelessness. Um, those being probably the two top things that people want to move back towards the middle. Um and it was interesting to see that she's trying to move back, but there's a lot of forces around her that aren't letting her move back towards the middle. But she does recognize that she does have to move back towards the middle. And even this article, it was on the Yahoo News, um, so the Yahoo News, on Yahoo News. And the article sort of recognized that there is a need in San Francisco possibly to move back towards the middle on a lot of these issues that it can't keep going farther and farther left because they're starting to see the results of what happens when they go farther and farther left. Um, that they've, they're seeing it firsthand. They're seeing the actual evidence, which is the Tenderloin district is an absolute disaster. She said there's going to be a city emergency, state of emergency to sort of clean up the Tenderloin. I don't think it's been cleaned up yet, but that's what's happening right now is a lot of these, I, I think maybe we're starting to see the wall that can be hit. And I, it's crazy to think that, but I think a lot of California far left policies are starting to run up against a wall where people are like, we're pretty progressive, but we're not that progressive. And then when it starts to really affect their families, their livelihoods, where they live, um, they start to push back. People are, people are very, very at their core, really what they can, what they want to do is just live a good life. Um, can confirm tenderloin is just as bad as ever. Yeah. That's what I've been hearing is that nothing has really been changed and that it's still just as bad, but she's sort of boxed in. She has a really progressive city council. Um, she has a progressive DA who doesn't really want to do anything. Uh, and Chessie Bowden, who's also up for a recall along with George Gascon, who as of like yesterday or a couple days ago, 99% of his ADAs voted that they would support the recall of George Gascon. That's pretty bad that if 99% of your ADAs say that they support your recall, that's a pretty bad sign. Um, but yeah, so you, you see an article like that and you see, uh, and this is an op-ed. This is not like a news article. This is someone's opinion. This is a, a columnist. Um, and it goes like, it, I'll, I'll read some of it for you and we can kind of dive into what it means. It was a simple tweet, a throwaway thought I sent out during the Super Bowl. NBC had just showed an aerial view of Echo Park Lake in all of its Sunday afternoon glory. I was in between chicken wings and felt inspired to yap. Did that footage show the fence that keeps people out from living in it? I tweeted. I sent out my query both as an honest question and as commentary. The issue is one that continues to Royal Echo Park. Nearly a year after city workers installed a chain link barrier around the lake, in the wake of a clearance of a large homeless encampment in March, the unhoused didn't disappear, of course. They simply dispersed to other poorer areas. Now, for anybody who watched the Super Bowl, I always I, I kind of kept an eye out for this because I thought this was sort of an interesting... Um, I knew that they would do this, but I was like, okay, I want to see how badly they do it. They sort of showed only like one or two parts of L.A. If you noticed when you watched the Super Bowl... They showed Santa Monica, which is very nice. I mean, Santa Monica is very nice. It's got a lot of money. It's very clean. Um, actually, I don't. I, the last time I was there, it was very nice and very clean. It could be an absolute disaster at this point. Um, if anybody's on the chat and wants to confirm whether Santa Monica is still a nice area, just let me know. Um, but they showed the Santa Monica Beach. They showed Venice Beach. They showed. Uh, they showed Santa Monica Pier, which is very popular. That sort of classic LA is that they were on the Santa Monica Pier. And they kept showing like the beach and people playing volleyball and like, oh, this is very California. I mean, it was very postcard California of like people on the beach, people in the waves, people surfing, people playing beach volleyball, people on Venice Beach, uh, lifting weights. Uh, and then they went to the Coliseum, which I'm sure was cleaned up just for that. Uh, but what this writer is talking about is that they had aerial views of Echo Park. Um, and it looked 
really, really beautiful. It looked really, really clean. Um, oh, someone said it was the actually the Huntington Beach beer, not the one in L.A. That's interesting. I thought it was the one in Santa Monica, like the Santa Monica beer. Learn something new. Um, but you could see from the air this beautiful view of this park. It was green. It was clean. There were people on these little paddle boats. It looked. You looked at it and go, what part of L.A. is this? This looks very nice. I mean, this looks like a nice little park. And you find out that's Echo Park that they're talking about. However, in normal times, Echo Park doesn't look like that. Echo Park looks more like the L.A. we all know, which is encampments and homeless people and garbage and all that stuff. So they were very clear to make sure that all of L.A. looked squeaky clean for this event, that they didn't show homeless. They didn't show downtown. They showed the Hollywood sign. They showed... um, the beach, whether it was Huntington Beach or whether it was Santa Monica Beach or whatever, they made sure to get the really clean looking shots for the Super Bowl. So I guess that's this is what he's talking about is that they the people have they installed the chain link fence to keep all the homeless out that particular day to be like, you can't come in here because obviously we don't want a homeless all over the park and then people are going to tweet about it and it's going to make LA look really bad. Um, let's see. I went on to tweet other random observations during the game, but it was echo park remark that got the most attention of Angelinos, angry Angelinos response after response, public and private praised the restoration of order to echo park. Folks offered all sorts of anecdotes about how bad life there supposedly was before the fence arose feces on grass and sidewalks, nonstop assaults and drug use, a desecration of a beloved L.A. public space. I was accused of being cool with it. What struck me about Twitter Barrage were the identities of many of the people who joined the pylon. I would have figured them to be a conservative Karen brigade. Okay. Again, this is a column from the L.A. Times, so of course he's going to like throw shade and insults as much as he wants. Instead, many were self-identified Democrats or progressives. They're part of a potential voter revolt that will make L.A.'s upcoming mayoral election a fascinating referendum on how much the city is scared of itself right now. From Pacific Palisades to Boyle Heights, South Los Angeles to the San Fernando Valley, there's a level of discontent among the city's liberals I would have never imagined in the megalopolis. It's supposed to be a cauldron of woke politics, the type of place where voters cast 75% of their ballots in the 2020 presidential election for Joe Biden. But all I'm hearing from good liberals in the lead up to the June mayoral primary is fear. Too many unhoused people, too much crime, clueless politicians, a loss of traditions and safety, a fear that Los Angeles isn't a nice place to raise a family anymore, and not just because of the astronomical housing market. Um, This chorus is very familiar to me. Quality of life issues have been voter catnip in my Orange County homeland for generations. It's why politicians here have long campaigned on tough on crime rhetoric and consistently invoke L.A. as the boogeyman that Orange County can turn into if liberals are allowed to take office. (coughs) Excuse me. So, again, this is what I'm talking about, is that at, at the core of it, it doesn't matter how far left or woke you go. At a certain point, everyone has their breaking point. Everyone has a breaking point where they say, this is too much. This is too far. This is out of control. I don't like this anymore. It doesn't matter how woke or progressive you are. At a certain point, you want to live in a nice city. Like you're paying premium dollars to live in L.A. You want to raise your kids in L.A. because of the culture and all that, and that's fine. But there's a lot of basic things that we as Californians really can agree on. And that's probably one of the most overlooked things about California politics is at the end of the day, there's a lot of things we all agree on. And yeah, some of us are more progressive. Some of us are more woke. Some of us are more traditionally conservative. Some of us are right in the middle and just say, I I don't care. Um, But the thing that really kind of is a binding glue that holds most Californians together is that they want a safe place to live They want a nice place to live where they know that they're going to be safe, that there's going to be culture, that they can go out and do something, a place where they can raise their family. That's always important to a lot of people. Um, Basic kitchen table politics is one of the great unifiers of voters from both sides and all sides of the spectrum, because at the end of the day, it affects everybody. 
at the end of the day, your progressive or woke social policy is all fine and dandy if it doesn't hurt your kitchen table politics because you feel good about yourself and whatever. But when the policies start to really impact where you live and where you are, that becomes an issue. Now, all of a sudden, you can't take your kids to the park. Now, all of a sudden, you're worried about walking down the street to go out for a night out. Now, all of a sudden, you're worried about having people come to see you because it's dangerous or it's it's gross or you're embarrassed by your neighborhood or something like that. These are things that bind people together. And I guess this columnist is worried that these voters are going to start voting on kitchen table politics, which what does he want them to do? Not vote on kitchen table politics like he wants them to deal with how bad the city has gotten, how much filth there is, how much drug use there is. Is that what he's proposing here? That's what he's proposing is that voters who he had higher standards for and sort of disappointed in. That's really the tone of this article is that he's disappointed in um, these voters who he was like, well, they're Democrats. How could they be against all this stuff? Um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm flabbergasted. I thought they would be better than that. They sound like a bunch of conservative Karens. Like he doesn't seem to understand that. Like these are kitchen table politics that affect people and you can be as progressive as you want. But at the end of the day, you still want a safe neighborhood. You still want to raise your kids in a nice neighborhood. You still want to send them to a good school. That's really the basis of most American life. And that's sort of that we don't agree on a lot in this country right now. But there is stuff that we can agree on. And these basic principles are stuff that we can agree on. And it can turn even the most hardened, far left, woke, you know, pink, pink hat wearing women's march sort of progressive but it's sort into sounding like a conservative where they're we, we're, we want to be a tough on crime. We want to get tougher on public drug use, all these issues. We want to clean up the neighborhood. We want to get rid of the homeless. Um, and I think that's really that that on top of everything that's happened in the past few, two years with COVID has changed a lot of people's minds. Um, side note, that is something that I'm also working on. I do want to do a red pill roundtable. Um, people have reached out to me. Um, I might do it tomorrow night. So if you are someone who was on the left and is now on the right and want to talk about it, we're going to do like a red pill roundtable, how you came about it, all that stuff. Um, might happen tomorrow night. I'm not sure. Still trying to figure it out. Anyway, um, he goes on to talk. Now this strategy is spotlighting LA's warts in one nearly all the declared mayoral candidates, all Democrats seem to be banking on in their quest to govern the city. Uh, Councilman, Councilmember Joe Buscaino and L.A. City Attorney Mike Ferreira are casting themselves as adults in the room and vowing to take away the toys from their more liberal colleagues. Representative Karen Bass, if you know Karen Bass, she supported communist uh, leaders in the past. The candidate who has so far excited the most Angelina left just upset a bunch of them after she proposed to put more, not fewer, police uh, officers on the street. Now, mind you, she's one of the most far-left radicals in Congress, and she's now advocating she wants to hire more LAPD, not less. She wants to bring back more policing. Um, Kevin DeLeon um, of the famous uh, ghost gun fallacy is running as a true blue bleeding heart, yet the council member paradoxically stands little chance of winning a city that's nearly half Latino. Now comes billionaire Rick Caruso, ready to steamroll everyone with his self-funded campaign and promising to add 1,500 cops. And then he says, wait, what city is holding a nationally watched election this year? Los Angeles or Irvine? Again, he's kind of contrasting, like, who are we electing here? Is this going to be, is this Orange County politics or is this L.A. politics? Um... He says, I'll admit I'm a novice to L.A. politics, but maybe that grants me perspective on the subject. So trust me when I say this, as L.A. prepares for the most consequential mayor election in a generation, an Orange County state of mind is infecting, infecting the body politic, the wines, the paranoia, the bromides against the status quo, the pining for simpler days. Los Angeles in 2022 sounds like Orange County circa 1994. Um, I'm assuming in 1994 there was a big like Republican revolution in Orange County, and they just kind of held on to it for a long time after that. Um, but again, it does sound like, uh, you know, there is a contrast between LA and Orange County, and there's a lot of people who follow me from Orange County. 
Um, why do you live in Orange County? I mean, you can put it in the comments right there. Why do you live in Orange County? Because you want a safe neighborhood. There's nice suburbs. There's nice shopping. There's nice culture. It's clean. It's it's you know it's well taken care of. Like you can raise a family there. There's good schools. Like that's why a lot of people move to Orange County, and they don't want L.A. And maybe L.A. Los Angeles are looking at Orange County going, uh, we want some of that over here. Like we want to be able to send our kids to a good school um, and live in a safe neighborhood. So we kind of want some of those Orange County principles. Let's see. I'm not dismissing concerns residents have about how things are. You sort of are. As someone who has seen loved ones deal with criminal violence, having your sense of safety shattered is never good. But neither is ignoring how good you actually have it. Neither is ignoring how good you actually have it. How good you actually have it in L.A., right? So how good you actually have it with the rising homelessness, the rising crime, uh, you know, uh, a police chief and a mayor who are basically like, if someone wants to rob you, just cooperate. Don't fight back. Just let them rob you because we don't even want to send somebody out. Just go ahead and just do that. Um, I've never understood the doom and gloom so many people throw on L.A. Short traffic is bad, but not much worse than in Orange County um, and nowhere near the poor Riverside. Poverty and crime. Name me a huge American city that doesn't have either. See, that 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 really doesn't that that's a poor argument in my mind. Like name me a huge American city that doesn't really have either. Like well, San Diego's better off. Like, yeah, there's there's poverty and crime. It's on certain levels. Like, there's not going to be an American city that doesn't have poverty and crime. That's just the nature of cities. That's been the nature of cities for, I don't know, thousands of years since there were cities and you put a whole bunch of people together. There's going to be poverty and there's going to be crime. That doesn't mean you get to dismiss it and go, oh, well, other American cities have poverty and crime. So why are we so worried about it? Oh, because it affects me. That's why. And I live here and I want someone to help fix it. So that's not really a good argument. And name me another huge American city that despite its trouble still has LA's capacity for reinvention. It's propensity to look toward the future instead of its past. It's symphony of street vendors and sunsets at the Hollywood Bowl or Dodger Stadium. Now, look, I've been to many, LA many a time um, for reasons I don't really want to talk about in my past, but um had to do with exes and stuff like that. Um, I was never impressed with how LA looked. I thought LA always looked run down. I, I always thought it looked outdated. I always thought it looked like it was stuck in a different era, like especially downtown LA. Uh, I always felt like it just kind of looked like it, like time had passed LA by compare that to like downtown San Diego, which is, thriving there's new buildings it's definitely cleaner you dev there's more of a better feel i mean petco park helps that is downtown san diego um but there's definitely a better feel when you go to downtown san diego like there's stuff to do in downtown san diego there's lots of restaurants there's stores like you go to downtown la it looks like a wasteland of what la used to be um and i, I for him to say it's it's capacity for reinvention yeah, they're trying to like reinvent or like refurbish a lot of these old buildings. They're trying to bring back that like LA glamour, that kind of like 1940s LA glamour feel. And there's a lot of restaurants and stuff like that, but it's not enough. Like you still walk down certain streets of downtown LA and you're like, I should not be walking here. This is not a good area to get into. Um, so I don't understand this idea of like reinvention. And it seems like a lot of the stuff is like the infrastructure is falling apart. It doesn't seem as like clean and forward thinking as most people would think it is. I mean, for hell, I, I would say like Manhattan is still better than L.A. Like you walk around Manhattan, you're like, this is still better than like downtown L.A. Even downtown San Francisco is probably better than downtown L.A. So I, I'm not sure what he's trying to get at that. they have this. I mean, sure, he wants to think that they have this propensity, um, but that's like the, that progressive mindset of like, well, because of who I am, we're going to be progressive. We're going to reinvent and all that stuff. And just by acting like we're progressive, these things are going to happen when in reality they're in their own head and they just, they don't see that their own city is like crumbling around them. So 
Um, someone I mentioned like their old courthouses. You could re- renovate old courthouses and make them look nice. Um, or you could tear them down and put new ones. Again, to a slight brag about San Diego, we just built a brand new downtown central courthouse, state of the art. It's beautiful, blends it with the skyline, looks great. Um, it's not super futuristic, but it looks great. It looks like it'll be there. You know, it looks like something that's definitely gonna be around for a long time. But you just see the different the the differences in sort of the mindset. Um, all right, I want to finish this up so we can get into comments and questions. As I've drilled deeper into Los Angeles in the year plus that I've been a columnist, my feeling that too many people exaggerate the city's woes remains. Yes, times are tough for too many, but it's nowhere near the apocalypse that people make it out to be. Um, right. Hold on one sec. I didn't put my phone on do not disturb. Um, take crime. Murders have increased in the past two years and robberies are now ticking upward. But they're nowhere near the historic highs of the 1980s and 1990s. The difference now is that crime waves of the past crashed down on black and Latino communities and didn't affect the middle and upper class. Same with homelessness. Now that inconveniences are lapping at neighborhoods uh, that always imagine themselves as better than others, those residents are all of a sudden hoisting rhetorical pitchforks and torches and demanding political action. Yeah, maybe. Like, that's that's fine. So it said, yes, times are tough for too many, but it's nowhere near the apocalypse that people make it out to be. Uh, take crime. Murders have increased in the past two years and robberies are now ticking upwards. But they're nowhere near the high, historic highs of the 1980s and the 1990s. The difference now is that the crime waves of the past crashed down black mark, black and Latino communities and didn't affect the middle and upper classes. Same with homelessness. Now that inconveniences are lapping at neighborhoods that always imagine themselves as better than others, those residents are all of a sudden hoisting rhetorical pitchforks and torches and demanding political action. It says, Venice, heal thyself. You're turning into Huntington Beach. And then when you click on the link, it talks about, it, it goes to another article about how Huntington Beach turned into Angry Town, USA. Basically talking about like all the protests that were going on during 2020 um, in terms of, the lockdowns and stuff like that. So that's what they're talking about. Uh, early polling does show bass with the campaign lead and the mayoral candidates, but don't discount angry liberals. A bunch of them in San Francisco just recalled the three school trustees who were too left. And will probably also topple the city's progressive district attorney, Chessa Bowden. Grievance politics can easily sweep up anyone. Woe to Angelinos who fall for the trip. So he's already, he's already saying, woe to Angelinos who fall for this trap. Basically, don't vote in your self-interest vote against like, don't, don't think about that. Don't be worried about the fact that there's crime and homelessness. Try and put that out of your mind, right? Um, don't fall for it. Don't vote for your personal grievances. Um, that sort of thing is mortgage the future to fix the perceived problems of the present and working class cities and neighborhoods have almost borne the brunt of the aftermath. Um, voting like that will put Los Angeles onto a path of reactionary band-aids that don't let the wounds of the city heal. Let's see. Uh, then he talks about the fence again. Uh, a similar situation happened a couple years ago in OC along the Santa Ana river near Angel Angel stadium. County officials put up a long fence and threw down rocks along its trail to clear out homeless encampment that numbered around over 700 people, more than thrice the population of the echo park Lake uh, tent city. Today, the Santa Ana River sees joggers and cyclists do their circuits unperturbed. Uh, the homeless, of course, have dispersed to another neighborhood. Uh, that spurred calls by residents, politicians, therefore a heavier approach than before, and not my fault excuses for bureaucrats who pushed out the homeless in the first place. Trust me, L.A., you don't want to follow Orange County's playbooks on Broken Circle of Scorn. I think he sort of made the argument at the end right there that they took an approach... In Orange County, they did something and uh, it worked. It worked because now you have joggers and cyclists who can now enjoy Santa Ana River. They can go enjoy it. And he's trying to say like, um, he's trying to say like, oh, now you can't, we don't want people to do that here in LA. Um, Why? I'm not really quite sure, but... um, doesn't really make any sense. So it's uh, the reason I want to talk about this article is one, because I think it's interesting. He's in a way pointing out that LA and Los Angelinos have sort of an envy for what's going on in Orange County. 
And that at the end of the day, these kitchen table politics do matter to people, even as far left as you can be, even as far left as a lot of progressives can be. A lot of these kitchen table politics do really matter to people and people do really concern themselves with them. And we're starting to see the backlash. We're starting to see the backlash in San Francisco. We're starting to see the backlash in Los Angeles. And a lot of people are like, well, California will never change. No, but it's good to see that there's a wall. I think California can change. I always, that's why I do this. I do this because I think California can change. I think we're sort of in a transitional period where minds are open and people are thinking about things, thinking differently about things. And it's important that there is something to kind of fill the void of people who are looking for a different solution. Um, Slight plug for the Calipublican caucus. Um, But I think you've hit a wall and I think people are seeing that like, hey, I'm progressive and all. And, 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 you know, I want to live in a a forward thinking society and all that stuff. And I want to make myself seem like a good person. But man, I just, I want to take my, I want to walk my kids to school without having to step over needles and homeless encampments and, and, and homeless feces and stuff like that. So there's a wall and I think we've hit the wall and you're starting to see it, which is good, which is good because you may, you're not going to get a Republican in LA or San Francisco, but you may get a moderate Democrat and you might start to get more moderate Democrats who are big, who are focused on solutions, who are focused on let's fix these basic problems that people actually want help fixing. Um, And then once these people start to move maybe back towards the middle, who knows where we can go from there. All right. So let's hop into comments or questions or anything people want to talk about. Um, Sorry about the audio. What happened there? That was weird because the phone kicked in and then I ignored the call. And then um, I I don't really know what happened there. So Um, like I said, lesson learned that if a phone call comes through when you're on a live, it does cut your mic out. So make sure you put it on do not disturb so you don't get any. Uh, The problem is not that people are homeless. It's that they're mentally ill. We have a mental health problem. That is certainly one of them. That is definitely certainly one of the issues is that um, there is a huge mental health component to this. And the more facilities and the more opportunities you can give to people to get better. I mean, I'm not an expert in homelessness. I, it's, I'm sure there's plenty of uh, solutions on the table and stuff like that. But you have to offer a lot more solutions. And you can't just uh, and it's almost like you can't you have to offer the opportunity to go get better and kind of rejoin society um, and kind of also have that stick of like, well, here's your option to rejoin society is you can get help with addiction and rehab and mental health and all that stuff. Um, that's your option, but you can't stay here. Like you can't stay on these streets and you can't set up camp here. And like, we're going to have to move you along and kind of like, prod them in that way is, is, is just to be like, this is your option. Um, so that it it is a mix, like there is, and it's not all mental health. You know, Camille just brought up that it's not all mental health. Drugs are an issue. The video I posted on TikTok, which is a while, uh, a couple weeks back of Michael Schellenberg had done this interview with somebody who was saying how they got paid by San Francisco Six hundred and twenty dollars, which is, I guess, a lot of money if you're living on the street and you don't have any bills, you don't have any expenses. It's just pure money to spend. Um, there is that incentive, and I think you got to get rid of that incentive as well. You got to get rid of a lot of these incentives that bring people to places like San Francisco or L.A., especially San Francisco. I think there that is something you have to get rid of, so that people aren't attracted to these um, these cities. And they're only there for one reason. So um, there's a lot of issues. It's a complex issue. Uh, one of the things that I am a huge believer in and is part of like the Calipolican Caucus platform is that homelessness does occur because there is a lot of, there's not as much economic opportunity as we think there is here in California. And when you live in a state that is cost prohibitive, you are living, a lot of people are living on the knife's edge at the edge of a knife in the sense of if they miss a paycheck, if they miss work, all of a sudden 
they can't make rent and then they're 30 days behind on rent and it snowballs and before they know it they're evicted and they don't have anywhere to go that's an issue of like california is just so expensive and there's a lot of people who are really living on the edge of a knife and that they do fall on hard times and covid caused a lot of people to fall on hard times they didn't have savings they didn't have enough money like in a nest egg they didn't have sort of a safety net in case something went wrong um, and when you're living like day or week to week and month to month, and you don't really have that safety net, it causes a problem. And you do see a lot of people that that happens to them as well. So there is a mix of yeah, there are people who come to San Francisco, because they know they can, they can get free money. They know that they can get food stamps. Um they know that they can get paid to live on the street. They know that there's a strong drug market out there and they, they can go there and do that. What do you, how do you solve that? Get rid of that incentive right away. Just be like, we're not incentivizing you to live on the street. You want to come to San Francisco and be a part of San Francisco. Fine. Come to San Francisco and be a part of it. Don't come and, and live in a tent on the street. Um, there's plenty of opportunities in San Francisco to go do whatever you want to do. Just don't live on the street. And we're not paying you to go live on the street as well. Um, the other thing is California has to be more affordable. And how do you do that? There's a lot of issues with housing. There's a lot of issues with utilities. Um, I mean, and that goes into a whole different discussion of like how California is not as affordable as it should be so that people, a lot of these progressive policies, and I've said this to, so I said straight to jail right away, um, from uh, parks and rec, which is a fantastic show. I think Parks and Rec is almost funnier than The Office. First season is a little rough. First season, you got to get through the first season. But once you get to the second season, it's fantastic. Uh, undercook, overcook. So you got undercook, overcook thing. Straight to jail. One of my favorite lines. Um, what was I saying? Yeah, affordability in California is a big issue. We got to address that as well. Utilities, housing, all that stuff is very unaffordable. And a lot of these progressive policies that they say are progressive. And I wrote an article about this a, a while back, years back, um, about how California liberals hate the poor. And it's really just a strong indictment of like, you keep voting for these progressive policies. Now, mind you, this is before COVID. And it kind of fits this guy's issue. This guy's sort of mentality is like, well, I'm, I'm a good person because I vote these progressive things. Um, but I don't see the ripple effect that it has. And I don't care. Um, he's a perfect example. He votes for these things that, that sound really progressive and they sound really great. But at the end of the day, it hurts the lower middle, lower and lower classes of people who are just trying to struggle, just trying to get by. Um, and they don't really see that when they vote for the gas tax, because they think that's going to help get people out of their gas cars and get them into electric cars. They think that's going to make a difference when in reality it hurts the, the the single mother who is trying to figure out how do I put money in my car at the same time I got to feed my kids, but I also have to get to work, but I need money. So like those are hard decisions for a lot of people that they have to make a decision between food or gas or how do they get to work and they can't miss work because if they miss work, they don't have any sick days. Um, so yeah, go ahead, vote for the gas tax. But why do you hate poor people? Like, is that really what you want to do? Um, and a lot of people are like, well, you know, if you, oh, this was good. This was somebody had replied to Tamika Hamilton's sort of, I'm, I'm getting off topic, but I do want to take some more uh, comments and questions. Somebody replied to Tamika Hamilton saying, because she had said like, oh, I paid this much at the, at the pump. Um, and somebody said, well, you know, that's your fault because you bought a gas guzzler and, you know, that's really your, your own fault. You should buy a hybrid and, uh, you know, that's really, that's not, that's something that you should really, that's a, that's a you problem, not a me problem. Um, and I replied to him, I said, okay, well, well, what do you do with people who can't afford and they have like a 10 year old car that is not very fuel efficient? You know, what if they're driving a 20 year old Ford Explorer or something because it's all they could afford at the time and that's what they have? It's a gas guzzler. It's definitely not gas efficient, but they can't afford to buy a new car and they got to run this car as long as possible. What do you say to that person? Do you say to that person, well, it's your fault because you bought a 20 year old Ford Explorer? No reply from that guy. I never heard back from him, but that's sort of the mentality you have to take is like, well, how, why, why are you like, 
why do you want to put this pressure on the, those who can't really burden it? Um, but yeah, there's a lot of issues with homelessness. Um, I'd love to get like an expert on to really talk about homelessness and like dive into homelessness, um, and, and really hear some, some ideas about ways to like solve it or what the real issues are when it comes to it. So what else you guys got? Uh, 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 yeah, you, you know, people, uh, they, they buy used cars or they have older cars, um, because they can afford it. And then they, they, that's it. That's their car. They didn't, you know, they're not kind of, they're, they're not lucky. They can't go get a new car, um, for a multitude of reasons. They can't go just get a new car. I mean, it's, it's sort of, uh, out of touch and elitist of you to just be like, why don't you just go get a new car? Why don't you just go get a hybrid? It's like, okay, well, a lot of people can't afford hybrids and they're expensive. And, um, yeah, like, uh, so somebody said, are California courts corrupt? As somebody who's an attorney, um, I, I, uh, I don't think so. I mean, every judge I've talked to is really, uh, on the up and up. What will the cost be to charge a car? Yeah. Even if you could get your hands on an electric car, like, it's getting more expensive. Like SDG&E now has the highest electrical rates or electricity rates in the country. So you're, you're forcing people into electric cars because you say, oh, well, it's better for the environment. It's going to be cheaper. You don't have to pay for gas. But now you have electricity rates that are even higher. So, um, and that's another point too. I think I tweeted that out a long time ago. Why do they want everybody on electric cars is because the government at any time can just say brownout, blackout. Um, guess what? There's a, bl- a brownout or a brownout, blackout or a brownout. No electricity. Sorry, you don't get to charge your car. So basically, they control the fuel that's in your car. Um, the batteries. I mean, it's just that it, it's one of those issues where it sounds great and I in theory, but it doesn't really sound great in practicality. Um, do you think solar requirements are next? They did pass a law that all new houses are required to have solar panels. Um, that was a year or two ago. They, they passed this law and, um, yeah. So what are the first things you think of that are the problem with requiring that every new house have solar? Well, first off, you're going to jack up the price of every house and, and, and California is definitely, one of the, as far as I remember, I think it was all California. It was a bill that they passed. Um, all new houses have to have solar panels. So obviously that already raises the, the price of a really expensive house here in California. Also, what happens when the government mandates you have to get something? I don't know. The solar panel companies go, guess what? You have to get this by law. So before this law came into effect, it used to be, uh, I don't know, five to eight thousand dollars. I'm just I'm just guesstimating. Somebody could be like, it's it's much more than that. But I'm just saying. Uh, it used to be five to eight thousand dollars to put a solar panel or a couple on your house. Guess what? Now there's a new law. Uh the solar company goes, Well, now you're required by law, so guess what? It's now sixteen thousand dollars to put these on your and what are you going to do? You're going to go to the guy down the street because guess what? He's charging $18,000. And the guy down the street from him, he's charging $20,000. Because now all of a sudden, there is a mandate that you have to get these, whether you like it or not. You're held captive. You either break the law and don't listen, or you have to just shell out the money for these solar panels. And that, to me, just it seems pretty idiotic um, because it doesn't help a housing. It doesn't help alternative energy. So again, feel good, progressive policy that doesn't work in the end, because if you just play it out, there's, there's a good book by Henry, Henry Hanslet. Uh, I can't remember the, 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 the name of it, but it's like Henry Hanslet. It's Hazlitt. It's the, the one lesson of the one lesson you need to know about, uh, economics. And it's basically that nobody ever thinks of the long-term effects when it comes to economics. They, they always think of like the immediate of like, oh, this sounds really nice in theory. But um, in practice, when you kind of play it out 5, 10, 20 years, all of a sudden you have to look at these things and go, 
it doesn't make that much more sense. So, and that's hard to do with voters because voters want to vote on stuff that makes them feel good now, um, not 10 years from now. So it is hard to kind of convey that, but, um, I'm not saying it's impossible. I think there's ways you can do it. So whenever the government mandates something, it's always going to go up in price because you really, they got you by the short ones and that that there's really nothing else you can do about it. So got about 10, 15 minutes left. I'll go a little over because the whole sound issue, um, I wonder how much money they spent on the food recycling bins that they sent out to everybody. Um, I don't know. I I don't. So it's, uh, I'm sure they spent a lot of money and I don't know how much was used. Uh, Let's see. I'm going to go back and see what other comments people are saying. Uh, Any comments, questions, because that's the point of coffee in California politics. So we sit and we chat and talk about coffee or we talk about California politics over coffee. We can talk about coffee too. So. If you want, they're phasing out gas generators and long equipment. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, where all these solar panels go when they go bad, not great for the, they go to like a graveyard out in the desert somewhere and they just kind of sit there. Um, and they don't really know what else to do with them after that. Like they're just kind of like, uh, okay. Meanwhile, like, I don't know if this is true or not. Uh, like, Nuclear energy, the last I heard is that like the nuclear energy waste can fit in like a Coke can. So meanwhile, like solar panel energy has to go into a desert somewhere and they just kind of like stack it on top of each other. Once the batteries burn out, they nothing really they, they can do about it. They can't even recycle it. Um, yeah, that was another law that they passed when it came to like gas power generators. Uh, they're trying to phase that out as well. Um, and who does that again? Who does that hurt? Uh, it does hurt people who landscaping businesses for one. Uh, that does hurt because if you own a landscaping business, now all of a sudden you have to switch your entire sort of fleet of stuff or whatever you have um, over into some sort of electric or whatever they want you to do. So that's a cost. Um, and yeah, I mean, it does hurt people who are blue collar working class. We're headed to Wally. Yeah, we are headed to that. I think there's, but I think there's solutions. I just don't know. Like, yeah, I, I, I was going to say that. Like, it does hurt Hispanic communities who do own landscaping businesses. And, you know, if you care about immigrants who come over here and work to get a better life, that is one of the areas. Um, so... Again, they don't, and and these are things that I think you can get better at arguing and pointing out to the left and just kind of turning the whole thing on them and be like, okay, well, why do you want to hurt Hispanic business owners? And they'll be like, I don't want to hurt Hispanic business. Oh, so why do you, why do you hate Hispanic business owners? Why, why do you, why do you, not, why do you not want to support them? Oh, because you're, but your law is going to directly affect them, probably put a lot of them out of business. Um, so, you know, those are things that you kind of like, and the Republicans are very bad at like, they just kind of complain and whine. Instead, they should really be taking a lot of this stuff and like flipping it on its head so that it does kind of, it does kind of register with people. And and again, we've talked about this a lot. We've talked about framing. There was a whole, we've had lives all about framing and arguments and stuff like that. When you do frame the argument in a different way and they have to argue in your frame, that does also activate progressives and Democrats they're going to lose. So you go to a progressive or a Democrat and say like, um, and I, I kind of differentiate because there are Democrats who are more moderate, but there are far like leftist status, uh, who call themselves progressive, which I think they're really regressive. Um, you have to start to, to kind of speak the language that's going to activate their brain to the point where they say like, Oh yeah. Well, I I don't, I don't want to say like, I hate Hispanic business owners. Okay. Well then you shouldn't support this bill. Why? Because it would put a lot of them out of business and it'd be really unfair. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Like, and you gotta like, you're not gonna, you're not gonna win over everybody. You might win over a lot of people though, you know, and you gotta get better at that. Republicans just always sort of talk in like this echo chamber way of like, because they, they preach to their own choir 
a lot. And in California, it's we're, we're not lucky enough to have a big enough choir to preach to. Um, whereby like, it's like, oh, if we just galvanize our base and get people out, we'll win. It's like, no, no. If you galvanize your base and get 100% of your, your party to vote, you're still going to lose most elections. So you have to learn. California Republicans got to get a little bit better at, at the, the, the framing the argument and talking rather than just complaining and, and sending out red meat to their constituents. Uh, SB 9 and SB 10 requires California cities to comply with these measures without the thought of impact on traffic, schools, or city resources. Um, I'm not, I don't know what SB 9 or SB 10 are. If you want to kind of put like a quick synopsis of what that is. There's a lot of numbers and they keep changing, so it's hard to. Uh, Laguna Beach has already adopted the no small engines for lawn care services, battery power only. So that drove out a lot of Hispanic small businesses. There you go. See, you know, and that's, that's really what you, you kind of like, that's how you got to frame it. So they just say the earth is going to die if they don't vote for it. I mean, that's their excuse for everything. Their excuse is always like this, this bigger, higher, like you have to listen to the science and you have to, you know, climate change and like the world's going to end and all that stuff. They don't want to actually argue with it. They, they, they just want to come up with one way of saying like, oh, we're, we want to, uh, you know, the, the, the world is going to end and, and we got to do this or that. Or do you want the world to end? Like, is that what you want? Or that it's racist. Yeah, that's the other thing. Like it, now it's systemic racism. Um, I guess lead in water pipes in San Francisco is systemically racist or the fact that it's like over 200 years old and it's a very, very old city and they probably haven't redone a lot of these places or business owners haven't redone a lot of these places. So, um, yeah, private jets and, and, and mega yachts are acceptable. Yep. They're absolutely acceptable. Um, yeah, they, they, and, and it's, again, it's, it's not always about, um, you know, facts, you know, I know Ben Shapiro always says, you know, facts don't care about your feelings. Um, but at the end of the day, you do have to kind of hit on people's emotions and you do have to hit their values to get people to rally behind you and vote because that's how people vote. You know, they vote on values more than they vote for policies or anything else. And you can sit there with reason all you want, but a lot of times it doesn't cut through because they're, they're people are very defensive over their values. And you have to kind of speak to their values and be like, these are the values we, we believe in. We think you'd, you'd be a part of this. Um, so maybe the lead's killing their brain cells, kind of like the Romans. Maybe. Um, SB9, SB10 involve multi-resident homes on single-family pots to combat the housing shortage. Oh, okay, okay. Um, yeah, they're, they're starting to shove a lot of people... Um, I can't take this live anymore. Too much nonsense from the, from the left. Um, well, it's well, a lot of stuff to talk about when it comes to nonsense from the left. Um, yeah, they're trying to do these single plot family homes and, uh, put a whole bunch of like really condensed people. Um, in California, Sequa, uh, which is the California quality, uh, environmental, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, only allows really a lot of stuff to be built by public transportation. So it, it does make it really hard. And that's one thing that like needs to be undone. And even Democrats are getting fed up with CEQA and they're just like, we, we need to build houses. We need to build more houses. Um, and CEQA is sort of stepping in the way because all people have to do is like make a CEQA claim. It stops the whole production. Um, and, and it could take a long time for them to kind of parse out the CEQA claim and it holds up the project to the point where a lot of investors are like, I'm, I'm just not even going to do this anymore because it's not worth it. Uh, mass housing complex are enormous. It isn't low income either. It's $2,300 a month. Yeah. A lot of places, $2,300 a month would get you a very nice house in, I don't know, 80% of the country, $2,300 a month. Um, but to live in like a lot of huge mass housing, and that goes back to like this, it's this affordability thing. It's just, 
it really is that there's a lot of people who can't afford to live in California. They can't get off, you know, they can't get back on their feet. Even people who are homeless already, how hard is it to get back on your feet and, and get back out into society when things are so expensive? I mean, just think about it. Like if you lost everything today and you had to get back on your feet, you wouldn't get back on your feet immediately, but you'd have to hustle and bust your butt to do that. And it's, it's very hard and it's very prohibitive. Um, so it's not easy to do. And, you know, that again, comes back to the afford affordability, um, in the sense of if you're on your butt and you lost everything, it's not easy. It's hard to live here. It's hard to live here month to month. And then when you lose everything, it's hard to get back into it because it's so prohibitively expensive. I mean, people who want to live in California who have jobs don't come to California because they're like, it's too expensive for me to live in California. So uh, they're justifying construction on their guys with low income housing. Uh, I'm in the same boat. I'm trying to leave, but it's so expensive to leave too. Yeah, it's it's tough. It is it's definitely tough. Um, you know, everyone always says like, especially down here in Southern California, a lot of people are like, well, Arizona is very attractive and it's very affordable. It's just right over the border. Um but I don't want to go to Arizona. Not quite yet. I'm still going to fight this out. All right. I'll give it about one more minute. Um, like I said, uh, podcast tomorrow night, always 8 p.m. live on YouTube. If you haven't subscribed, um, there's always an audio version of this too. So if you missed something or you came in late and you want to listen to the audio version, you can subscribe, like, review, all that stuff and like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all that stuff. Um, if you do like the podcast, make sure you review it, give it five stars. That helps spread the word, all that stuff. Uh, make sure you like it, send it to other people. Um, tomorrow night, every Thursday at 8 p.m., uh, we do a live podcast, which is usually with a guest of some sort. Usually it's a candidate. Like next week, we're going to have Marco Contreras on. Um, and yeah, it's live on YouTube. Uh, and then again, there's always the audio version. So if you didn't catch the live version, you can always do the audio version as well. So the more people hear about this, the, the better, the more people get involved. Um, and that's basically it. Like I said, there's going to be Cal public stuff news coming out in terms of the virtual event that's going to happen. And then there's going to be more news about whether there's a, a orange County April event. Um, so there's going to be a lot of stuff happening. Um, it's going to be a very, very busy year, uh, and that's basically it. Thanks again for tuning in, everybody, and sitting through the, the sound issue and all that stuff, the technical difficulties. That's the problem with doing this through a phone is sometimes your phone freaks out, and you don't know why your phone freaks out, but still do it. I'll still do this. I'll, I'm still going to do this every Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. Still going to sit and chat and talk about California politics over coffee. Hopefully next week I have more coffee so I can actually have a, a strong cup of coffee. Um, so until next week, thanks again. Um, the convoy, oh, the convoys leave today. Um, yep. I heard the convoy is leaving today. Uh, I mean, I don't know if it's going to, I don't know if it's going to like do like going to stop the whole supply chain. It might be enough, but it's, you know, you got to keep in mind how many like thousands and thousands of trucks are on the road. Um, like there's a lot of trucks on the road. And even if there's like a hundred trucks that end up doing this convoy, it's not going to like, I don't think it'll destroy the whole supply chain line. So, um, unless every trucker all of a sudden decides they're not going to do anything, which I doubt will happen, but it'll be interesting to see if a nice big convoy leaves and shows up on uh, Joe Biden's door, uh, by the state of the union. Oh, that was the other thing. That was the other thing. Um, I'm going to put a poll out. If we want to do like a state of the union drinking game. We did that for the gubernatorial debate. So we did like a watch party with a, a like a state of the union drinking game. Um, I think that'll be fun. Um, so yeah, that will, uh, I think it's coming up next week, right? What is that date? Wednesday. Oh, it's Wednesday night. Okay. Um, I'll have to see what's going on if we have a busy schedule. But anyway, thanks again for tuning in, everybody. As always, I'll see you next week, or I'll see you tomorrow night for the podcast. And uh, yeah, have a good one. Later.
Thank you for listening to another episode of California Underground. If you like what you heard, remember to subscribe, like, and review it. And follow California Underground on social media for updates as to when new episodes are available. 